right, folks, welcome back to another glorious, 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 glorious episode of the Boombasticast with your host, Alexander Hawk. How you doing, Alex? I'm doing good. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. I'm your other host, Matthew the J. Fisher. You know what I mean? And we got Buddy Buttafuoco on the boards. You know what I mean? Uh, we got him muted because he's been a bad boy. We don't let bad boys talk. You know what I mean? Maybe when he's a good boy, he'll be able to talk again. But uh, we come to y'all with another Checking the Gate episode. Booyakasha! Legendary person on the docket this evening, Alexander Hawk. What are you going to say about our, our, our subject matter? Uh, this this episode. Well, what can we say about the one and the only Harold Ramis, um, a a great uh, comic writer, comic actor, and comic director? And we're going to be focusing on his comic uh, directing. I mean, um, a while ago we did Ivan Reitman. Now we're going mm-hmm. to do Harold Ramis. Both of them uh, work together on a lot of projects. And uh, uh, we're going to be focusing on on Hell Ramis today and his directing projects. Yeah, I mean, they go hand in hand. You know, some of those Ivan Reitman, Harold Ramis. You know, they they collaborated so often, and uh, we're part of that same kind of group. You know what I mean? That sometimes you could almost say, "Hey, oh, I thought he did that, or they did this, or they did the other thing." You know what I mean? They're that entwined. Um, a lot of good stuff, you know what I mean? But today we're going to talk about, you know, Harold's filmography. And uh, we love a lot of it, of course. Uh, there's probably one or two in there we might not have seen, maybe, perhaps. But that's part part of the fun of the journey, ladies and gentlemen, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, we love him, man. You know, he probably first popped on my scene as a kid with the face, Egon, you know what I mean? Uh, once you see him, there's no coming back, you know what I mean? A very interesting face, very handsome, very handsome lad, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, you, you just like, I you, before you, you just pop up a Ghostbusters and you figure, my God, he, he, all he all he needs to do in this life is just be Egon. How legendary is that? And then you find out that he's the man behind the camera. On a lot of these classic comedic features, you know what I mean? He's a, you know, the same elk. Like we said, Ivan Reitman's in that elk. I think John Landis is in that elk, you know what I mean? Um, a lot of folks, you know what I mean? But uh, So you want to kick off first, uh, where it all started? Yeah, for, it's, or um, you... I'll uh, kick off first. Now, the first film that he directed oh, yeah. is the famous Caddyshack. Now... Yeah. As anyone who's followed our um, Boombast guest knows that my partner in crime, my brother from another mother, is a huge Rodney Dangerfield fan. And not only was this the first time Held Ramis directed, it was the first time Rodney actually acted in a film. So you had a first-time director, a first-time lead star, and, and it came out being one of the most uh, classic uh, films, uh, comedies of the time. For sure, you know, Chevy Chase, as well as Rodney, Bill Murray, classic, you know what I mean? Great flick. Uh, Michael O'Keefe from Roseanne, if anybody remember him. Ted Knight, of course. 
great times, great times. You know, Caddyshack's one of the, I mean, if you were to put a time capsule together of like what movies get to take the trip, you know what I mean? What movies take that legendary status um, deal? You know, Caddyshack's up there for sure, for sure, for sure. National Lampoon's, you know, who gigantic with all, you know, the vacation films, Animal House. I mean, it was just a huge deal. Um, you know, started off as like a, like a, like a comic type deal or something, Hawk, right? Was it something like that? Like a funny pages. Well, um, the National Lampoon started out, actually, if I'm correct, uh, National Lampoon was the magazine at Harvard. Yes. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, and a lot of uh, the the people in, involved with that decided to then, um, yeah, uh, decided to take that and then started uh, their own magazine outside of the school, and then they then decided to make it mainstream and try to make films based on it. Animal House is the first one that they did, which Ivan Reitman directed. No, John Landis did Animal House. Oh, John Landis did. It was a John Landis did that, yeah. The okay. um, that that's why they're all kind of in the same elk because they all kind of juggled around the same types of films. It's a very easy mistake to get caught up in that, you know. Yeah, I mean, un, 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 uh, I mean, like he said, I mean, unfortunately, it's so many of them. I mean, since they all worked together and they worked on whether as writers or directors or other things, that it is sometimes hard for me to keep straight. Which one goes? But um, I mean, one of the uh, uh, founders of this was Doug Kenny, uh, yeah. which um, they actually did a film about him recently on, on Netflix in the last like five years. I remember where, we watched that together. Yeah, I was going to bring that yeah, up. Yeah, and um, Doug Kenny was uh, uh, big behind uh, Animal House, and then um, Caddyshack was a follow up to that. Now, uh, going off of that movie that Matt and I watched, okay, uh, Caddyshack came out, but at the same time, so did Airplane, and he kind of thought Airplane was stealing the thunder from Caddyshack, and uh, as as rumor goes it, uh, he got depressed and decided to take a long walk off of a short mountain cliff. Yeah. Um, Wasn't he sick, though, too, or something, or was it strictly that? Well, yeah, from I from what I, I read into it, it was when he was uh, getting uh, the National Lampoon magazine running and he was in charge of all of that, he yeah. was, you know, doing like uppers and downers and doing all kinds of drugs that he was, you know, kind of riding high and, and not in the best mind state to begin with. And, right. um, and... You know, he thought after doing Animal House, doing Caddyshack, that he'll be at the same level. And, I mean, we all know Caddyshack today. We love Caddyshack, and we also love Airplane. But, unfortunately, I think Airplane is too much of a rival and was taking away too much of the thunder, and he didn't think that Caddyshack was going to uh, be as, as loved and endeared as it became. So, unfortunately, you know, he decided to... You know, end it all. I mean, that's a that's a downside about 
when you hit depression, I mean, all in your mind can see is the here and now, not what it can be. I mean, things right. can look dark now, but uh, a few years down the line, things might be, you know, a lot better. Um, but, I mean, Caddyshack was kind of, um, it was a test because, yeah. like I said, you had Harold Ramis, uh, uh, who, uh, this was his first directing film. You had Ronnie Dangerfield, very well-known uh, stand-up comedian at the time, but he had not been an actor. He had not been on 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 a film set. Right. There's actually a famous um, there? A, a quote or a line where uh, supposedly Ronnie was out there, he was doing his lines, and he came up to Harold, and, and he was upset. He was like, and, 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 and Harold was like, what's wrong, Ronnie? He says, oh, man, I'm dying out there. No one's laughing at my jokes. I must be just bombing. And he says, they, they can't laugh when we're taking a, a, a shot, when we're filming the scene. So there yeah. was a lot of, you know, learning for both of them. And, and the fact is, it became a great, uh, great film, a uh, well-loved film. Oh, for sure. Uh, Caddyshack's a masterpiece. You know, that's, always, that's one of those movies that whenever people say, you know, what's your favorite comedy or whatever, even maybe even favorite movie, that's a movie that's thrown out. Like, uh, Caddy, my uncle would throw that out for his favorite movie forever. Uh, now it's probably DJ Stan the Man, of course. But, um, you know, that futile and stupid gesture, that's the name of the flick that was on Netflix. Uh, oh, yeah. 2018, I remember, like, roughly a year or so before Cogzilla came to town. But, yeah, I remember we sat in my living room and we watched that. And it's actually a really good uh, – it's, it's a good film. And, um, yeah, it gives you the whole scoop of what went down. Very kind of tragic tale for that dude. Um, I believe the dude is in Animal House. He's the dude in, like, the trench coat, if I remember correctly. Like, a part of the wild gang who's in the trench coat. Yeah. Um, I think that's the actual dude. Like, in the end. Like, in the end, uh, when they're doing the credit rundown type deal. But very cool stuff. I got a book called Caddyshack, The Making of a Hollywood Cinderella Story. I believe Chris... Nashawati or something like that uh, wrote it, and um, I've yet to crack it open, but I heard good things, and uh, I do look forward to cracking it open, you know what I mean? Caddyshack's just a legendary, legendary, it comes from a legendary, you know, thing of comedy, and it became what it was, and that, that era of comedy of all around, you know, of National Lampoon in general, of the actors that were involved, the filmmakers that were involved. There's just something about that time that was just great. You know, I don't, I don't know what it, you know, when you talk about like cinema magic, you know what I mean? Like it's stuff like, like that, you know what I mean? Like Caddyshack where it's like, man, like this just fucking, it was funny and it just took off and the zeitgeist of comedy and it, it's going to in cinema. And it's forever going to be, it'll always be on, I think it'll always be on the top 10 list of comedy forever, never to come down. And I don't recall it having too much offensive stuff that could get it canceled. I Maybe I'd have to think harder about it. I'm, I just thought about this two seconds ago. There's other, <laughs> cla 
there's other classics that have shit that could really get them kind of pulled out of pulled out of wherever um, the public's eye because of stuff that was you know no longer workable. But Caddyshack was pretty. So Dangerfield was he just make fun. He made fun of the rich white dude, which is game on. You know what I mean? So no issue there. But yeah, Dangerfield. I love Dangerfield, and like hearing that story about how he didn't understand. There's something like very kiddy and lovable about that. You know, the character that he was. You know what I mean? And I, like Alex said, Rodney is probably my favorite stand-up of all time. He, he'd have to be. Oh come on, dude! Don't lie. He is your favorite stand-up. <laughs> he is. I don't want to. I don't want to give him a big head if he's listening out there. You know what I mean? But for sure, he's he's the greatest. He's the goat, and uh, yeah. So I loved it for that. Like it was just like it was Rodney's performance was my reason for watching it type deal. But the film's great too. You know what I mean? Rodney's like Rodney's magical. You know what I mean? The film's really good. Bill Murray's magical in that film. Bill the the character he lays down. There should be like on the Alexander Hawk cameo page where y'all can go and get some videos right now as we speak. You should request Alexander Hawk as the Bill Murray character in Caddyshack. That's what I want for every Fourth of July invitation that I got going out to people for cookouts. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, but I definitely Caddyshack. I gotta think like an animal, and I gotta be an animal. He'll also send a photo of him dressed up in a groundhog outfit. Hey, dude. Now I have to find that groundhog outfit. No, that's purely speculation. That ain't, that ain't, that ain't, that's not definite. But yeah, Caddyshack will always be legendary. Oh, yeah. And and the the fact that Harold Ramis started his career with Caddyshack is fucking mind-boggling. You know what I mean? Even John Landis had schlock before he started really blowing wigs apart, you know what I mean? Right out the gate, Harold Ramis said, wait, I'm going to blow your brains apart. Boom. But yeah, Caddyshack's become that deal, and it's just the perfect setup of like the classiest sport, if you will, gone, lost all clash, you know what I mean? That's That's just kind of the vibe. That's what it is. And you have Chevy Chase, who Chevy Chase is an acquired taste at times. I always, <laughs> enjoy, I, I always enjoy him for the most part. You know, I'd say I'm pretty much, a, I am a fan, and I, everything he does, I pretty much enjoy. Um, Bill Murray on top of his game, you know what I mean? Dangerfield is none better. Um, and even was it Ted Knight? I even think Ted Knight's fucking phenomenal uh, as like main dickhead supreme in the movie. And is our boy Jason Lively in this as well? I think he is. Well, I mean, or the dude Caddyshack? that looks just like him, huh? In Caddyshack, I don't know. There's a dude who plays the the nephew. That, and I, I Jason Lively. We've met Jason Lively. We go back with Jason Lively. Um, I could have sworn, dude, that there's there's a there's like a dude who looks just like Jason Lively. In Caddyshack, playing, playing fucking the dude's nephew, playing snail fucking Smales' nephew, doing Ted Ted Knight's nephew in the film. I'm pretty positive, though. Yeah, well, uh, it, it it it's not him. Maybe it looks like because I can't find him. 
It's a very weird deal. I always thought that was him for the longest time, but I could be wrong. Our Jason Lively, our boy from uh, another film later on in the, in, the, in the story, Night of the Creeps. You know what I mean? Not this story, though. Another story. I was thinking of an interview story. My mind's in two different worlds. So Caddyshack, masterpiece, comedy masterpiece. You know what I mean? Doesn't get none better. You agree, Hawkman? What do you think? Where does that rest with you? Well, I like Caddyshack. It's definitely not my favorite that Hell Dramas directed, but it's definitely in the top, uh, I would say, top ten. Well, I put it in the top three for sure. And I'd have to, as we go through, I'll have to kind of figure it out a little bit. But next up, I guess uh, you brought in Caddyshack, right? Yeah. So another uh, National Lampoon's venture here, which is funny that Caddyshack never held the National Lampoon's uh, moniker over it. You know what I mean? It just went straight Caddyshack. But we have National Lampoon's Vacation. So he ventured back into another film with um, Chevy Chase. You know what I mean? Um, National Lampoon's Vacation is a, a fucking great, great, great film. You know what I mean? This is another one of those American comedy fucking masterpieces. You know what I mean? It's magical. It's a time and a place. All the right people, all the right talents get together. Um, and it's just the right time to make that deal. And it's like a time capsule of, of an era. And it's so much fun. You know, I love it. It's probably one of my favorite of the National Lampoon's movies. You know what I mean? For sure. What do you think, Hawkman? Oh, I enjoy it. Now, I, I know that I'm probably going to get a little, uh, you know, uh, death rays from my pal over there. But oh, yeah. I never really got into the National Lampoon's Vacation movies that much. Wow. Um, they're enjoyable yeah. enough, uh, but I was never a huge fan. Um, my opinion is uh, I think Chevy Chase is a good actor uh, and a funny comedian. But it, um, he's he's a quiet taste. He's one of those guys that, in in one role, he can just totally turn you off, and another role, he'd be perfect for. Um, and he really didn't grab me in the National Lampoon movies. Um, this one uh, was okay. May, uh, actually is probably my favorite of the Lampoon movies for the a simple fact that you have John Candy in it. Mm. And 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 to prove to how great John Candy is, he's only in there for maybe under 10 minutes and uh he owns every scene he's in. And like I said, I I just love John Candy and he's he, he's great. And uh, him just being the uh, the uh, the guard at Wally World, it, that that scene itself is funny because John Candy's there. National Lampoon's Vacation might be the greatest road comedy ever made, in my opinion. You know what I mean? You've got Harold Ramis directing. You have John Hughes, the great John Hughes writing. You know, great cast. Um, and to go with the franchise thing with you, like I thought, I thought Vacation was really good. European Vacation I thought was good, but maybe not as great as the first one. 
Um, and then I believe it goes Christmas Vacation, which I love. I think you can't argue that it's kind of, it's, it's, it's reached the, the, the levels of, um, a Christmas story. You know, they play it 24 hours on channels now. It's, it's become, it's been ushered in as like the new, the, the Christmas movie of its generation, so to speak. You know what I mean? And then Vegas Vacation. My boy Ethan Embry's in it, so I can't hate on it, man. We did House Across the Street together, and uh, it's not a bad movie, man. It's fun. It was way, it was made like way after the other one, so it's got that distance vibe to it. You know what I mean? And but I like it. I think it's fun, and I get down with it for sure. Uh, after vaca- uh, Vegas vacation, I do kind of. That's probably where I have to, you know, pull the fucking brakes, but. Uh, I haven't seen too much after, so they could be good for all I know. I wouldn't venture forth for conversation about Harold, Harold Ramis. I wouldn't do such things. But yeah, like you said, dude, the John Candy, the part when they get to the Wally world and it's shut down and he goes insane and they get John Candy by BB Gunpoint. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's honestly, gold. it's gold. Dude. I mean, what, what makes it, uh, in my opinion, probably the best of the vacation movies is the ending of that uh of that film with him and and the family and John Candy going on the rides. Uh, but getting even getting there is good. Like you, you we've everybody's seen all of them now, so like Cousin Eddie and shit like that's played out, but like the introduction to Cousin Eddie and stuff like that when it was fresh and stuff was fucking stellar. You gotta kinda take away what you what you the, the later movies and appreciate it as a single deal. And think of it that way. I think it, the part with like the grandmother who fucking dies on in the on the way. Great, dude. Great, 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 great. Classic, classic, classic. You know what I mean? I definitely get down. Uh the great Randy Quaid. Back when he had his mind, back when he wasn't crazy, Randy Quaid. You know what I mean? Oh, he was always crazy, Randy Quaid. The only difference is the little part of his brain that would tell him to keep the crazy to himself uh, broke. I got love for Randy Quaid. You know what I mean? Your boy Anthony Michael Hall's in this, too. I know you got love for him. He's a good dude. Uh, Beverly D'Angelo, the, the princess, is in this. Very nice, you know what I mean? But Chevy Chase, yeah, people hate on him. I've seen Chevy in an interview recently. I think he did, like, Bill Maher's fucking podcast. And uh, he's still funny, man. He's he's an older dude, of course, but he's still kind of with it and funny, which I appreciate. I get down with that. I'd still love to fucking uh, meet Chevy or have him on the old Boom Basta cast, you know what I mean? But what do you got up after? National Lampoon's Vacation. After that is a movie, uh, Club Paradise. I have not seen that one. It does star a favorite of mine and yours, uh, Mr. Robin Williams. Yes, sir. Um, Have you seen this film? I have seen this film. I have this film on VHS. Um, It's a good flick, you know what I mean? Um, You know, a retired firefighter partners with a reggae singer to turn a seedy Caribbean nightclub into a resort for affluent tourists. You know what I mean? I'd go ahead and say that it's not like my favorite Harold Ramis films. You know how every now and then a filmmaker will have like a dud that doesn't quite go for whatever reason where it fully should or whatever. But like the the... You know, there's some, it's there, like, it's fun, it's a fun film, but, like, it just doesn't land 
it doesn't quite land, I think, with the or it didn't land with the audience at the time, so it wasn't well received. But it's not like a terrible film, and it's got Robin Williams in there. You know what I mean? How can you how can you not love Robin Williams? Rest in peace, dude. Rest in peace to Rob Williams. Rick Moranis, dude's getting assaulted now. You know, Eugene Levy was up in that deal. I know we we're talking about him and our pal Joe Flaherty uh, on there. Uh, let's just say that there's a top ten episode floating around maybe before this episode maybe after this episode only time will tell but uh, those gentlemen are linked up i think club paradise is a film that you would enjoy i think you'd get a few chuckles throughout it and you should definitely check it out for robin williams sake and i own it so next time you're down which i think you're going to be down soon uh, we will uh, pop that bad larry into the vcr and get it rolling you know what i mean yeah, cool yeah Maybe we'll we'll let the audience know how it goes. I mean, all right. So yeah, Club Paradise is you know not this. You know, I can understand why it's not so many people have seen it. You know what I mean? But it's not a bad thing. I don't hate on it. Um, Next up, Groundhog Day, kid. Not that's not that Boombastic production, is it? No, that's that's Groundhog. That's Groundhog. Yeah, Groundhog Day. Now, my opinion, Groundhog Day is Harold Ramis's best film he directed. Groundhog Day, I think, is when he, I think all comedic film, I think all those comedic people, well, not all of them, but some of them go towards having a little more heart to their movies as they progress and evolve. And I think Harold Ramis definitely was that and I think the Groundhog was kind of, Groundhog Day was kind of like his first kind of twist in the heart direction, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird vibe, but I know that that one that that that's the one that left him and Bill Murray with beef for a little bit, which yeah, they cleared up I before mean, he passed. Yeah, I mean, um, now a lot of this is conjecture from little bits and pieces I picked up. Now. It could be or it could not be, but uh, uh, Harold Ramis by this time had worked with Bill Murray uh, as an actor and also as a writer and yeah. also as a director before. And um, and uh, Harold, being a smart guy, realized that with with Bill, he always had more energy and he was more excited by the project at the very beginning of the film. But near the end, usually he was phoning it in or was not as energized about the project um, like he was at the very beginning. So because of that, that's why he decided to shoot Groundhog Day from the very end uh, and uh, shot it backwards. Now, it could very simply be that maybe uh, Bill Murray realized what Harold Ramis was doing and didn't like being handled that way. Um, there was also uh, a, a comment about him being bitten by the groundhog and having to get rabies shots and stitches. Um, and maybe all of that just, you know, added to the point where Bill Murray and Harold Ramis finally had, had the, uh, the throwdown and Bill Murray decided that uh, they were going to end their friendship and, and he didn't talk to him for years until he found out that Harold was was uh, near the uh, end, and then uh, he he at least um, had matured enough to come and and 
Mary the Hatchet show to speak. And so Harold was already sick when Bill Murray came in. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I mean, uh, Harold was on. Uh, from what I heard, Harold was on his deathbed when um, when uh, Bill Murray finally came back and buried the hatchet and and also gave uh, Harold a nice little uh, nod at the Oscars because yeah, I, I forget that. what what um, Bill Murray was actually uh, up there. He was. Um, he was up there. He was up there doing best director, I think, okay. or maybe it was something. But I know what the whole gimmick was. He said, and the winner is uh, uh, Harold Ramis, best director for Groundhog Day, or something like that. Well, and, he uh, he didn't he didn't say he didn't say that he won. What he did was he went through all of the um, those who were uh, nominated, and and uh, when he finished the last one, he said, and. Harold Ramis for Groundhog Day. Okay. And then he went on, and of course, whoever won, won, and everyone clapped. But, yeah, uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah, he, from my memory, he didn't say, oh, he won. He just, you know, said that he put him in as a nomination as, you know, his way of trying to say that he should have been nominated and given, you know, an Oscar, which I totally agree. But uh, unfortunately, a lot of times, very few uh, comedies are even considered uh, to be put up for an Oscar nomination. One day there, one day there might even be a movie, a dramatic film about that reconciling, you know, them rec- reconciling because some from two people that brought the world so much joy to have beef. You know what I mean? And then uh, it sounds like they kind of cleared it up because of, like, the sickness, which was kind of – it's none of our business. It would be interesting to know how it, all, how, how it all unfolded, but it's none of our business. You know what I mean? It's it's like, well, you know – I mean, again, like I said, th- this on my part is just speculation, uh, just that the impression I get from what I've seen of Bill Murray now – I mean, it's always been clear throughout the years that Bill Murray is can be a, a, a hard person to deal with, yeah. and uh, and I think that um, as he's gotten older, he's tried to mellow or decided to try to change some old patterns. I mean, there's a point where there was an incident on on a set where. Um, I guess he made a joke, and 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 uh, the person that he made the joke uh, at uh, didn't appreciate it, yeah. and uh, he was being interviewed about it, and his comment was, "I made a joke, I made a mistake. Um, I don't want to be considered like an old dog that can't learn new tricks, that you know that I I can't evolve, can't change. So you know, I I made a mistake." And I, I learned from my mistakes. So I think I mean, whether this was just put, that Bill Murray just found the epiphany himself or whether he had something in his life that helped him find this epiphany. But I get this feeling that he's attempting to try to change some of his bad habits of his youth. They were like, Bill Murray, you see your legacy? He's, gonna, he's like, yeah, they're like, isn't that beautiful? He goes, yeah, it's pretty marvelous. And they go, consider it not there anymore. And he said, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. I do is a better. You know what I mean? I don't mind. I don't mind. Sometimes drafting. But Bill Murray uh, gets no gets no uh, shade here. We love Boom, Bill Murray at the Boombastic Cast. I mean, so I definitely get down with Groundhog Day. You know, I, I remember on TV a lot. You know, I think TV for me, TV was big when they were rocking that shit on TV a lot. I was right as a kid. I was eating all that up as much as possible. Um. But yeah, Groundhog Day was always one that I loved. It was dark, you know. Bill Murray always there's all the darkness kind of to the a light coating of darkness to just about everything and edge that to Bill Murray. You know what I mean? Um, and Harold Ramis definitely kn- knew how to use him at, at its best. You know what I mean? Get the best thing out of him. Um, I wonder if things like when they were doing the scene with him sitting down pigging out. At the restaurant because it doesn't matter anymore because every day doesn't exist realistically. If he had to really eat all that, how much of that should he eat? Because he was pounding through a lot of food, you know what I mean? But yeah, nobody really knows what the beef was. I guess it's none of our business, but I'm glad they reconciled, you know what I mean? I won't even be disrespectful and say, I wonder what actually happened. Because if it was on their deathbed... I get a vibe like the only thing, the reason why it happened was because of that. But that doesn't mean that there was hatred there. It just could mean that there was two friends that felt they wronged, they were wronged and they don't hate the other person, but they're like a little standoffish or even a little more than standoffish for, for a while. But they know one day the right circumstances will line up and it'll be a great story uh, to, to the legacy that they're both, they've all built. You know what I mean? And then unfortunately life happens and you realize that it's got to either happen sooner or never. You know what I mean? And it could be one of those deals too, but it's definitely unfortunate we lost him because I feel like Ramis would still be making flicks to this day. And uh, I'm surprised he never went more dramatic. Like he was a dude I felt could have leaned into like dramatic films and won one like Oscars, you know what I mean? <clears throat> I feel like the respect level was kind of there for him. Um, and especially nowadays with a lot of that crossover. And I mean, there's not too much as an actor, Alex, you can say, I mean, there's a lot to, whether it's comedy or drama, there's a lot of kind of things that are similar probably in the, in the creative process and such and the go abouts. Um, and even like the technicalities of it on, on set with, you know, camera movement and, you know, flow of a scene and such. But uh, I could definitely have seen Harold Ramis doing some dramatic stuff. Uh, not that his comedy isn't great. You know, that, that's great as is. So I'm rambling. So we'll get into the next <laughs> film. You ready to get into the next film, my friend? Yeah, I'm down. Are you ready, my friend? All right, I'm going to go into this one next. And this one is Stuart Saves His Family, 1995. Stuart Smalley. I love this movie. I don't know how Hawkman feels about it. I think we've watched this together because I did. I, I think that he Stuart Smalley was a little bit of an influence on the Wesley uh, Kalinsky character from DJ Stan the Man, if I remember correctly. Well, I mean, if he was, um, 
I it 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 was on the writing aspect because okay. I mean I haven't seen this movie and uh, I know that you like the movie, but I know I haven't seen the uh, seen the movie. Yeah, um, very good. Yeah, you should remind but, remember. Um, but it is uh, interesting that um, uh, Stewart saves his family and mm-hmm. National Lampoon's vacation. Oh, yeah. no, never mind. Uh, it just Stuart Saves His Family was another Lampoon uh, film. Has a um, uh, an actor that we had on the show, uh, Mr. Uh, um, Jeremy Roberts. Right. Yeah, he, he was Stuart. in uh, Stuart Saves His Family, and he was actually in uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Hell yeah. He's a, he's a Lampooner, then, is what we're going Heck for. yeah. Yeah. He's in the elk. He's in the clientele. But yeah, Stuart Stevens' family, uh, great. I, I love that. It's a dark comedy. I believe Stuart was a spinoff of an SNL. I think he was an SNL spinoff character or something. Yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, I think that Stuart Smalley, um, he was Al played Franken. by Al Franken on SNL. Yeah. And, and uh, it was like a small talk, uh, you know, something talk was with uh, Smalley, uh, with uh, Stuart Smalley. And, uh, yeah, it was mildly amusing. Um, I have to admit, if someone told me that they had taken that character from SNL and made a movie about it, I would have been surprised because I mean, they, they've they done that with a lot of other SNL characters, but as, as characters go, Stuart Smalley, I didn't think, had a lot to to pull from. But as uh, Matt said, he's a big fan, so I was interested uh, to be able yeah. to uh, uh, create something. Yeah, I um, kind of, I mean, the character's gold. You know, it was interesting to see where they would take a film. You know what I mean? But I, the character's gold, but I knew the character would be successful. Um, He's so weird, and he's so he's like lovable and weird, and it's cool. It's a cool little character, and it's just like this dude who's just like super fucking like delicate, thrown into the hard world almost. You know what I mean? Around him and like not reacting well to it. Um, I definitely recommend it. It's one of those like SNL movies that fucking nobody ever talks about, but it's just as good. Is any other spinoff SNL movie? I'd probably put that in my top three SNL turned into movie deals. You know what I mean? But I know Alexander Hogg can't say that yet. Maybe that'll be a little double feature. Maybe we'll do a Harold Ramis double feature next time I see you. So next up, Alexander the Hawk. What do you got? Uh, all right. Uh, the next one is okay. Give me a second. You got it, buddy. You got it. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I was checking something on on that. I was checking something on that. Al Franken. In the year 1996, Al Franken, comedian, turned went, went into politics. I don't know if he still is in there or what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, office. he's still he's still doing that. Um, I think he's. Oh, shit. I think uh, he's a senator, or he's a, he's in Congress, I think. I don't know his politics, but I've always liked Al Franklin. 
Yeah, L. L. Franken is 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 definitely a very uh, interesting guy, and and definitely you know recommend watching. I mean, whether you agree with his politics or not, I definitely say check out uh, his acting work because he's really good. He tries. Yeah. Um. The next one after Stewart saves his family is Mul- uh, Multiplicity, which Multiplicity. stars one of my favorite actors of all time. Uh, Michael Keaton. Yeah. And uh, it also has Andy McDowell and a lot of other great uh, actors in it. And it's it's a lot of fun where you get uh, you have an actor playing you know the main character and then he ends up uh, duplicating himself I think two or three more times. Yeah. Uh, so in the end I think it's like him, and then three other versions of himself. Um, I forget exactly uh, why or how this came around, but he ended up finding a way to do that. And, of course, each per- uh, person of himself is different. There's one that's more intellectual. There's one that's more physical and combative. And then there's yeah. one that was more childlike. And um, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed watching that. And... And of course, it had the um, Hill Dramas uh, flair of comedy, which I mean, which we always love to watch. He's like a science experiment. He's a dude who just has it's like typical, typical like father issues where you don't have enough time to do what you want to do. So like he he dedicate he like gives his body up to science to fucking do multiples of them. This was at this time. This was kind of ahead of its time in. Um, you know, the CGI and stuff like that, you know what I mean? It was definitely, like, the first step in that, as far as, like, your typical comedy not doing something in the shadowy type, you know what I mean? Like, the first time to... When this popped on the the scene, I remember this being, like, kind of the first of its time for some reason. But I could be wrong, brother. What do you think about that? What, uh, the first of his time, what, having, like, multiple characters, or? Well, because there's a lot, there's some CGI, incorporating a lot of CGI into comedy, you know, green screen and putting, you know, yeah, not, they, was, they don't was... do it all the time, but there's scenes where, you know, he's in the same, you know, same, like, Nutty Professor type shit, you know what I mean, like, around, this was pre-Nutty Professor, I believe, or right around the same time, but. They were really messing around with the, the the CGI duplicate people in movies type deal, like putting the same person in the same scene with themselves. You know what I mean? You're okay, good. yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, no. I'm wrong. I'm wrong, buddy. You're wrong. Okay, I'm always wrong when I put it, when I put it that way. Yeah, mo- I'll have to tell you. Tune on my cough drop. Multiplicity. I think I seen it once. It was a rental when it first came out back in the day on VHS. And I think I half heartedly watched it. And then when it went back, it never went in front of my eyeballs again. Never on TV, never bought it. it didn't have the effect on me to make me go, ooh, I need more of this in my life. You know what I mean? I'm sorry. I don't mean to be that guy. Analyze this, if you will. Oh, heck yeah. 
Analyze this is definitely a, a, a lot of fun. Uh, one one of my favorite of um, Harold's uh, uh, directorial uh, uh, films. This was very successful too. Like when you think of the times and such, like this, it spawned a sequel. But this was also like very. Uh, it was a good mashup. I thought it, you know this is bad. You know mashups don't really. I don't really. Uh, I guess you do see them, but. I don't know if you're invested in some of the new age mashups as you are as certain ones like this, but both of these gentlemen were kicking around for 25 years, 30 years, maybe by the time they did analyze this, their characters and gimmicks were full blown. You know what I mean? You got Bobby oh, D yeah. Bobby D really leading into the jokey side of uh, the mafia, which was kind of a new thing for him. We all knew him from fucking, Marty's Mafia, you know, Goodfellas Casino, where he was always a dude never to be fucked with. You know, if he was showing emotion, you really pushed him too far, and now you're in trouble type stuff. Um, so it was fun, you know, fun, really. De Niro kind of making fun of himself in a way with this one, and his whole kind of career of playing that character, which he's gone back to later in life and played it well, you know. I liked The Irishman. I thought it was good times. I know some people got issues with it. But uh, this was very funny. There's moments in this, you know, when the I'm so pretty doing that thing. I remember laughing at that. And uh, there was another moment in there that I can't remember at this time. But it was very funny. Was this, I don't know if it was this one or the sequel when, like, you're supposed to play someone who's, like, like, uh, like in a daze, like like insane, and they poke him in the leg. Yeah, that him. that's actually the uh, the uh, sequel because that that's sequel? with when that uh, was... uh, uh, um, De Niro is trying to get out and trying to play yeah. insane, and uh, that's when he does the "I'm so pretty." Also, yeah, um, I must. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite parts of analyze this is there's a part where a guy tries to. Uh, kill um Nabavi D and he uh, ends up knocking him out the window and he crashes onto um the wedding procession and and dies and uh Billy Crystal goes up and confronts uh Robert De Niro and starts yelling at him about it. And yeah. he he says, Oh yeah, the the guy uh, was suicidal. He decided to you know, throw himself to death. Uh, they're still looking for that suicide note, right? And of course, his his uh, bu- buddy is is writing a suicide note as as they're talking. And then Billy Crystal's like, "Oh, let me guess what it says. Life sucks." Signed the dead guy. And the yeah. uh, and, and and the guy writing it says, "You know what? That's good. I'll write that down." <laughs> it. I. You know, this is a time like I. I was a huge, from my teenage years, I'd probably say 15, 16-ish um, till maybe 25, 26 or so. Bobby D was the greatest actor that ever fucking walked the earth. You know what I mean? Like, he was, in, he, I was a Gigantor fan. Of course, the dramatic, but I ate up. Like, I ate up this in the sequel. I ate up fucking Meet the Parents. Like, I'm, I'll am i go a long way for Bobby D. Uh, not so much anymore, but back in the day, I'd, I'd journey down dark roads for, for you know, of, of a movie that doesn't look like it'd be entertaining just because Bob D was in it. And I think he burned me a little too many times on that. <laughs> on my, my faith, my trust, my trust, you know what I mean? But 
Bobby D, you got to win his trust back. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the easiest way to do it is to fund and act in one of my films, and you have my trust back immediately. <laughs> the um, but I I I analyzed this. Uh, I do want to go back and rewatch it um, because I remember it being really funny, and um, everybody needed a laugh. This was in uh, 1999, I believe, the year Columbine, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah. An interesting time, but. Um, yeah, analyze this was always good, and I did. I appreciated the sequel too, which you can't really say that too often. Yeah, you know what I mean. But in between the first one and the sequel, he did a little film called Bedazzled. Oh my! Yeah. Now the thing is, the movie came out. Um, a lot of people didn't. Uh, I mean, the critics didn't really like it. Um. I enjoyed it. I liked it. It's actually a remake of a Dudley Moore uh, film from, I think it was the either late 60s, early 70s or thereabouts. Um, uh, you've got Elizabeth Hurley as the devil. You've got Brendan Fraser as as the main, uh, main protagonist, uh, you know, hopelessly infatuated with a co-worker that, that doesn't notice he's there and and he goes through all these different variations of of guys that he thinks that he should become so that he can win her heart. And then, of course, at the end, he realized that, you know, you just have to be true to yourself and be who you are. And he finds another girl that, you know, of course, you know, miraculously ends up looking exactly like the girl he was infatuated with. I wonder why, because it was played by the same actress. But, but so this this was wasn't this one of the, so this is like Brendan Fraser makes a deal with the devil, right? Yeah. What is it? A documentary? He makes a deal with the devil, hey. trying to get hey. the girl he wants, and instead of like a typical uh, genie thing where you have three wishes, uh, there were multiple. I forget how many he, he chances he got, but he played different variations of his character. Um, in different, uh, you know, scenarios. And of course, he got, se- he got seven wishes. was worse than the other. Seven wishes, if memory serves me correctly. Seven. But yeah, I mean, it was a lot of fun, enjoyable. Um, like I said, unfortunately, it did not do that well when it came out, but I liked it. Well, that's all that meant anything to them, the filmmakers and the, especially the investors. When they found out that Alex Hogg liked it. They said, oh, it doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter that this didn't make any money, dude. Um, <laughs> as long as Alex Hogg liked it, that it's all good in the hood, you know? That's what I said. Brian Doyle Murray, Bill Murray's brother, has got to be in every single Harold Ramis movie there ever was. So Bill, I Bill think Murray he can't... is, honestly. Every time I look, well, his name's there somewhere. My guess is Brian Doyle Murphy Murray was like, yo, Bill, you need to go see fucking Harold. And I mean, pronto, Jack. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of Bedazzled. I remember catching this once on TV. Uh, I know it's PG-13, but, so it's not raw to begin with, but it might even have been edited down more with the devilish stuff and such. But I remember not digging it. I remember it being kind of bad news. Uh, I was never really a big fan of Elizabeth Hurley or Brendan Fraser. I enjoyed in Encino Man, and uh, I'm happy that he's getting good 
good shit going for him now. I want to see that movie he did with Aronofsky. Oh um, yeah, the whale. I definitely want to whale. see that. Film. That looks good, but I was never outside of Encino Man. I never really got down heavy with Brendan Fraser. Come uh, on, Brendan Fraser's the man. I wheel up with him if he gets on the show. I'll be heavy into fucking Brendan Fraser if we get him for a guest to promote the new film. Bring on Darren Aronofsky while you're at it, Fraser. Let's do it. Let's get it going. Let's get it popping. But uh, yeah, I don't know. So you you liked it? You said maybe I should rewatch I, it. I like Bedazzled. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I don't think it's his best thing that he's done, but I definitely enjoyed it. And and I definitely think that uh, you should, if you haven't seen it, I say go out and check it out. I mean, it's uh, Brendan Fraser in his prime, and it's a it's a lot of fun. It's funny, and plus, also, if nothing else, seeing Elizabeth Hurley in the schoolgirl uniform is well worth it. Right. Well, I had a big feeling that's why you liked it. Like, well, the, no credibility to it being a film, but just the fact that she was scantily dressed for the majority hey, of it. Hey, hey, dude, 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 dude. <clears throat> Yo, dude. Yo, dude, brother, dude, man, dude. So analyze that. The sequel, analyze this. We're not going to go too deep into this because it's kind of the same vibe. But like we said, dude, it was still, you know, him playing crazy makes me laugh. I remember because he had to do with the whole fucking, like, first half of the movie so they'd release him or something like that, if I remember correctly. Again, this is a film that I've seen when it came out and not after, but enjoyed. It's on DVD floating around here somewhere, both of them. Um, but I thought it was good times, man. You know, I think some people might say that Bobby D stepped off the deep end and, you know, the quality of work that he doesn't, that he does now isn't quite up to what it used to be, which I don't even know if he acts anymore after Irishman. He might've retired quietly, but, um, I think that's got a lot to do with when you have a, when your earlier body of work is so legendary, it's very hard it's like, why why try kind of, if you go on a limb and try and do something different, you might get attacked because it's not what it, you know, what people let love from before. It's weird. And people put so much of them themselves in the projects that Hawk can agree that, you know, to go out there and try and really get into a character, flesh it out, create something and go through the journey of that character for that film and then get called garbage or whatever is kind of, uh, you know, discouraging to say the least you know what i mean so i don't know i think there's a lot of that going on too and it's like why you know get to a certain age it's like yeah fuck it i'm just gonna call it quits there's no nobody can ever take anything away from he has been getting political lately which i'm neither here nor there on anybody but like i don't know keep i think politics should be kept out of entertainment at least like on the face value you know what i mean Uh, it's being pushed but like it's interesting. Analyze that was fun times, and I know you enjoyed it. And uh, I know that Alexander Hawk is going to be in Analyze That Other Thing coming <laughs> soon. You're, you're the third man on the uh, on the list. You, yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm it's going to be um, Bobby D, uh, um, Billy Crystal, and 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 my, myself. Uh, we're going to be the. Uh, uh, the old three amigos. I I picture right now if, if if Billy Crystal and Bobby D want to do analyze that other thing and have them come together and you introduce you as a third character to it, where 
you'd have to be like, you'd have to be the nephew, the psychotic nephew in the mob that's like fucking eating people after you kill them. And they, <laughs> they bring, they bring you to see fucking Billy Cristal. So, uh, you can try, they can try and talk some sense into you before you gotta get the fucking put to sleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, if you guys out there hear that and you're down, hit us up, dude. We're ready to rock and roll with you. All right, what do we got up next? Analyze that now. Let's get a little bit. The next bit one into. is the Ice Harvest. Yeah. Now, I gotta say, um, uh, while uh, Matt made the comment that, you know, Held Ramis, ne- uh, if he lived longer, hopefully he would have, like, uh, delved into, like, Maybe some more serious films or try to, you know, do something different. I think The Eyes Harvest was the closest to to a uh, different film than he's done before. Because, I mean, it was a comedy and and he had done uh, a, a dark comedy. But it- this was a real extreme dark comedy. More of a dark comedy than Stuart Saves His Family or any anything else like that. It's like an a, almost actiony film noir thriller. Yeah, I mean the thing is, it was it was a, a pretty much and I liked it. Yeah, it was shot. It was shot like a a cold hard noir drama. But if you sat down and you watched humor. it and listened to everything, it had a very dark, sardonic sense of humor of everything going on and and i have to admit while i mean groundhog day will always be my favorite held ramus film uh the ice harvest is my favorite film of his that is underappreciated i agree with that i like the ice harvest i remember when i first seen the trailer for it um i like the vibe of it even before i realized harold ramus directed it i was digging the vibe that was at a point where I think Cusack was, you know, he he was big in the 80s, but then he had his second coming. And I think Cusack was in the midst of his second coming. Billy Bob Thornton was fucking popping heavy at this time, I believe. This was roughly after or before Bad Santa, where he was almost pop culture-y. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, he fucking, a very dark theme. It's almost like your insomniac movie. Or insomnia with Al Pacino and Robin Williams yeah. with like comedy, like that type of vibe almost a little bit, you know what I mean? But it's very, it, it that's that's one of the reasons I really like this film. And this is one, this film is one of the reasons why I would really have liked to have seen him go in different directions, you know what I mean? Like a straight dramatic somebody dying of something, you know what I mean? Like or some weird dark life twisty movie, you know what I mean? I think he could have really done something really cool because even though. You can say they're making comedies their whole career. It's like you're learning the craft of what makes things work with with camera. You how to tell a story to people. You see, you know what I mean. You're learning how to touch people in certain ways. So like it's you're gonna master it, and you're gonna be a, be a master of pulling out emotions and showing people what they need to see visually to be able to kind of touch them. So like I definitely feel like. No matter what genre you start out in, you you gravitate to anything. You know, it's just a matter of knowing the story. You know, that's why I guess so many stories like Sam Raimi and Peter Jackson. You know, they did they, they started out doing the Evil Dead and 
like uh, like bad taste, you know what I mean? And they went from that place to Spider-Man movies and Lord of the Rings movies, and it's uh, it's all a progression, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the Ice Harvest was really fun. I really liked the Ice Harvest. And I, and I agree with you when you said it was kind of an underrated one or not so talked about. I think you're 100% correct on that. And people who haven't seen the Ice Harvest definitely uh, change that for sure. So next up after the ice is Defrosted and the Harvest can fully grow. We step into his next film, which is a TV movie that I've never seen called Atlanta. Did you ever check out Atlanta? No. I mean, other yeah. than knowing that uh, Freddie Prince Jr. is in it and uh, uh, John Billingsley, I mean, that's – I don't know anything about it. I didn't see it when it was on. Yeah, I don't know. So skip over that a little bit. But year, go to year one, 2009. I remember seeing this in theaters. This is at a time when I was just fucking rocking movies to rock movies, like just show up almost and whatever's playing pick. Um and, yeah. Uh, um, I, well, here's the thing. Here's the yeah. thing. We love Harold Ramis. Okay, that yeah. that is a foregone conclusion. But no matter how great the director is, it's always a possibility that he has a few that are com- uh, not that good. Even not just overlooked, just not not good. And Unfortunately, I would have to say year one, it just didn't work on so many levels. Well, year one, uh, yeah, I agree that it didn't work. But I think it falls into the category of sometimes I think movies become too massive. Like year one's a massive film with a lot of extras, a lot of everything. I think a lot of people that kind of come from a more intimate set type deal where they can kind of communicate with everybody and it's not a big production. I think when they get a big production, I think it's tough on them and they kind of get overwhelmed or something like that. Um, well, I mean, I mean, the thing is yeah. what I think the problem was is that, and this is a big case, especially with uh, comic directors and it's a case with other directors too, but I find it, is a more a bigger thing when it comes with comic directors is that when you have a successful comic director and in this case Held Ramis started directing in the 80s and yeah. as time goes on comedy changes and comedy changes more than any other genre from decade to decade you know and and all that now when he ended up doing year 1 in 2009 uh, you had more of the, what I call the super bad type of humor. That right. kind of thing. I mean, heck, he had, um, uh, what's his name in it, um, from Michael Sarah. Yeah, Michael Sarah. Well, I like, I'm a, I'm actually a big fan of, I'm a big fan of Jack Black and Michael Sarah. Hey, I'm a big fan of Jack Black, uh, Michael Sarah, not wild. so much. Um, and the thing is that I think what he was trying to do is, uh, I don't know why he couldn't get Jonah Hill, um, but uh, he got uh, Jack Black to pretty much fill in the Jonah Hill part. And I mean, the thing is, uh, I don't Michael know. Sarah and I Jonah don't Hill, you're... they kind of work well off each other. Uh, Jack Black and Michael Sarah just, 
there was a kind of a disconnect with those two. Plus, also the jokes were were too broad. I think. Um, I mean, it's. I mean, you go back. You look at Caddyshack. You look at Groundhog Day, and 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 all those. I mean, they had some broad humor and all that, but you also had some, you know, like playoff words, you know, like more to the script. And I feel like I feel like that Held Ramis was looking for something, and he saw the writing on the wall that you know the comedy game was changing, and I. I'm assuming that they're like, hey, Harold, if you want to do another film, you got to change up your style to what is more popular now. And I think year one was his attempt to do that. Possibly. And um, like I said, I saw what he was trying to do and it just didn't work. It just ended up uh, feeling like another like epic movie or not another teen movie where it was just kind of a, a, a parody of the Bible. And that's what it was. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, jo- I don't know if Jonah Hill was the possible first choice for it. I think Jack Black was big enough and they knew what they were getting. I don't think Jonah, Jack Black and Jonah Hill, but they do were so different. Especially at that time, because at that time, Jonah Hill, that was before Jonah Hill was branching out and doing like Moneyball or like, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, where he did anything with any like range, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, Um, I mean, but but I mean, the thing is that I I mean, the way I look at Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill, if you are doing a comedy where you are. Need you know a a comedy duo? Whether we are talking about Avon Costello, whether we're talking about Laurel and Hardy, yeah. Um, if you're doing a comedy duo and you have Michael Sarah, you need Jonah Hill. Okay, they, otherwise well, you know he doesn't work. I believe they've only done one other movie together, which was Super Bad. I don't think they've done any other ones. Yeah, but I mean. The the other things I've seen Michael Sarah in mostly, yeah. okay, which whether they are comedies or dramas, it's not a double act. Right. He's in. It, I mean, if he's in the film, he's okay. He's the star, and then he has people that he interacts with. But right. year one is like. Laurel and Hardy, or Abbott Costello, or, you know, Dean Martin and and uh, Jerry Lewis. The thing I is, think- the way, way that movie is set up is it's supposed to have two actors that can look off each other and be the comic centerpiece. Yeah. And the fact is, Michael Cera can't do that double comedy unless he's working with Jonah Hill. Uh, I, I know what you're trying to say, but I don't think I agree with it. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it definitely did not work with him and my, uh, Jack Black. And, I mean, I, I like Jack Black. Um, but, I mean, if they wanted year one to work better, would it work better if they had Jonah Hill instead of Jack Black in it? I don't think so. I, I, I disagree with that. You know, they had Christopher Mintz Pla- uh, Plassey was in there. They, they No Jonah Hill, but they at least got the other dude from Superbad. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean... But the fact is that uh, Mr. McLovin, okay, 
uh, he's he even in Superbad, while he might have been a hanger on or like maybe a third wheel, he was not part of the like I said the, the dynamic duo that made that comedy work. I, I mean, I, I, Michael Sierra can't do comedy unless he has someone that levels him out. McLevin was like the heart and soul of Superbad, those kids. I like Sarah a lot, you know what I mean? And I like yeah. fucking, what's his name? And don't get me wrong, but, you know. Yeah, well, I, I just didn't think, I don't think Michael Sarah and Jack Black worked well as a team. And if you were going to try to do this, I mean, the script itself wasn't great, but it would have worked better if they had. Uh, two uh, uh, a comedy team that worked well off each other, and I don't think the two of them had the right chemistry or worked well off each other. Well, if it didn't work on screen, uh, on paper, on paper, comparing them, saying we got Jack Black and Michael Sarah to do a buddy buddy movie, if you told me that as an executive, I would say that'll probably work. That's probably gonna work. You know what I mean? Yeah, but an executive doesn't know what makes a film work. That's been proved uh, time and time again. Just look at how many Hollywood movies that are are just uh, dismal flops. All right. But like I said, if I was an executive at the time and they said, we're going to make this movie with these people, I would say that's going to work. And I I would probably still go Jack Black over Jonah Hill. I know you you want to have a special relationship with Jonah Hill, and that's cool. And I'll feed into <laughs> no, that. No, I, 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 I don't like have a special a relationship guest, with Jonah Hill. Yeah, but, you will. I mean, like yeah. I said, I just think that if they were going to do a film where they want him, if not, or replace Michael Sierra with someone that would, would work better with Jack Black. Because the thing is, the only way that that film could have been saved, even with that crummy... Uh, a script was if they wow. had a strong enough double act. I'll be honest with you, you know, the way that Jack Black is kind of like, you know, follow my lead, whether you like it or not type character, and I'm a goofball, and then you had Sarah playing kind of the character of like, I'm just a fucking utter goofball that is even beyond your goofball. Like, he doesn't even have the, the drive to do anything goofball. And, you know, it worked, man. It worked, you know. And I thought the idea of year one was always a creative, whether they executed it or not, do it, you know, doing a, a, a film based off the first year ever. I'm surprised that's never been attempted before because it's really kind of an interesting deal. But, um, yeah, it's weird. It's a weird deal. Comedic, it has to be because, like, the, the progress. Nobody would know what would be going on in year one. But it, but 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 you know what I mean. But uh, all right, home dog. So next up on that is uh, he jumped into the Office episodes. He was doing four episodes of the Office. You know what yeah. I mean? Gigantic uh, show. Uh, this is after it became kind of a big deal. Well, actually, he did one. He did an episode. He did the Christmas episode, I believe, first season, if I remember correctly, and then uh, three others. You know what I mean? And that show, The Office, was you know it was gigantic. Where was it? It was uh, a UK episode uh, show, if I remember correctly, originally. Yeah. 
and then it blew up heavy. Uh, he, that's the reason why we have what's his name, the comedian. Yeah, Ricky Gervais. Ricky, Ricky Gervais. Yeah, yeah he was the uh, one who um, who Kinda did the uh, the uh, UK office, and he was the executive producer on uh, the American The Office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of those office people were from Massachusetts, which is funny, like almost half of them or whatever. Uh, shout out Ricky Gervais. I remember when he gave everybody hard times not too long ago at the Oscars. That was legendary. But um, The Office, I like. Do you ever get into The Office? I know you're not typically a fan of newer age television shows, but did you ever get into The Office? Uh, I'm I'm not a fan of, of films that uh, or TV that um, think they're funny when they're not. Hey, and, and the I, so I assume you watched example, a uh, perfect example of that. Really, no, no love for the office, huh? No, no. I mean, I like Steve Carell. I like a lot of actors that came out of the office. Very colorful. The colorful. office itself. I mean, uh, the office, Parks and Recreation. A lot of those films, uh, uh, TV, uh, Modern Family, the whole that regular life. Style. I mean, the style is is okay, but I don't see, I mean, it doesn't make it any funnier. And I just, I watch like an episode or two and I get bored and I I change the channel. Yeah, I dig The Office. We're actually rewatching The Office right now a little bit in the background. We need something for background. The dog likes it, you know what I mean? But, you know, he... it would have been nice to get one more film out of him. You know what I mean? He ended on the television. Year one didn't do that good in the box office, I remember. The Ice Harvest is a film that I could see not doing well in the box office because it was so kind of... It's hard to market that type of movie for Harold Ramis, I, I, I'm sure, because he's not used to doing that type of deal. But Analyze That was probably... That that made the sequel even made a lot of money. Um, be dazzled. I don't remember really being big with the with the yeah. loot. I don't know. Well, the thing is, I think analyze this and analyze that made uh, made him enough money to do like I can see him probably being a fan of the original uh, original Bedazzled with um, Dudley Moore and wanting to re- uh, remake that. And then the Ice Harvest. I don't know if that's based on. I think it's based on a book. So I think that. That was like another like passion project where he's like, "Hey, I made you so much money with the analyze this series. How about you let me do something a little bit out of my normal uh, zone of of film? Let me do that. I mean, that's how I feel that it happened, and probably because the Ice Harvest didn't do as well as you know the executive producers wanted. That's why he didn't get you know. That's why they're like, okay." Do this made-for-TV movie, and uh, that's uh, your next film project uh, has to be more mainstream orientated. Well, Bedazzled only came out a year later, so it's possible that it was shot before Analyze This was released. So it was getting cut up while Analyze This was exploding. Could be, could be. I mean. But- I but I, I would not be surprised if the Ice Harvest, of because that looks like it came out three years after Analyze That, I would not be surprised if that was a bargaining tool that it was like, you want me to do a sequel to this film? Allow I me to do right. uh, this film. 
I, I, I'd say you're probably right with it because it's so far out of the norm of what Harold Ramis would probably be directing that that was probably the deal. He was like, look, you know, get, I want to do this. I'll do the se- I'll do a sequel, but you got to promise me this movie too. So I think yeah. you're probably dead on with that. I think you probably hit the hammer. You hit the nail right on the head with that one, my friend. Yeah. I mean, that. I mean, a lot of times uh, when you're looking at these uh, filmographies and you see someone doing a whole bunch of stuff in a certain vein and then they do something that is out of what you considered uh, uh, their, like, belly wig, a lot of times that's what happens is that – they make you deal with someone like, hey, I, I'm great at this, but I want to try something different. And as we've talked before on the show, um, those in charge really hate giving directors and actors um, creative freedom to do something different because that means taking a risk. And producers hate risk. They like money. They don't like the chance of losing money. And they hate it even more when they actually do lose money. Right. So we got some um, honorable mentioning stuff we want to pop into. We'll pop into the producing stuff first. Uh, executive producer on Back to School, my, one of Rodney's greatest fucking vehicles of comedy, driving into your city. You know what I mean? I love, you know, arguably the best Rodney film. Uh, you know, I'd have to go. I'd have to go back to school. Ladybugs, maybe Easy Money, or in the trilogy. You know what I mean? Of uh, of uh, Rodney Flicks, perhaps. You know what I mean? But as an exe- as an he's an ex- executive producer, that bad motherfucker. You know what I mean? So I got to give big kudos to the Rayman for having some executive producer uh, ship going down on that. And that ain't no joke, my friend. That ain't no joke at all. You know what I mean? Uh, Armed and dangerous, too, if you get down with some more John John Candy-type stuff. You know what I mean? But some of the writing credits, we'll get into Armed and Dangerous in a second. Uh, Writing credits, of course. You know, the dude came up with the National Lampoon world. So uh, Lemmings, Dead in Concert, you know what I mean? You know, he, he wore TV, TV, looks at the Academy Awards. But... Uh, National Lampoon's Animal House. You wrote it, Alexander. That's why you were thinking Animal House earlier. But yeah. John Landis directed it. You know, SCTV. Um, you know, he was a big writer on that. And then that, you know, that was the Canadian version of SNL. That's where a lot of our, you know, John Candy, Dan Aykroyd, I believe, came from SCTV originally. Um, you know what I mean? That's where they, it's kind of like, you know, I guess you would say, uh, Yes, the Canadian equivalent to SNL. I mean, I'm sure it's that big over Yeah, there. yeah. I mean, personally, if you want my opinion, uh, SCTV, I think, was a lot better than SNL. Oh, really? Yeah, I'll have to, I, remember, I remember seeing the DVDs back in the day. I wish I grabbed a couple because I'm not really too hip with... I know the people that came out of there, like Eugene Levy and other stuff like that, but I'm not too hip to the deal. But anyways, you know, he got... 1970 Meatballs, you know, Bill Murray, you know, Meatballs is a fun movie. It's a weird movie. I like some of the sequels a little more, which is kind of fun. To, you don't catch yourself saying that too much, but I think they go, the, the crazier they go, the more I like them. And I'd argue to say that Meatballs, one's good, two's good, two might be the best one, 
three uh, with um, Grey's Anatomy dude there. What's his name? Patrick uh, Dempsey. Dempsey? Yeah, Patrick Dempsey's the star of it. And, like, bikers come into the camp and they got to fight him off or something like that. Crazy. I remember that being really fun. All and I remember a- is one of them had an alien. That's all I remember. That's part two. That's the best one. And then part four is Corey Feldman. And it's so cheesy and just crazy that it's great. You know what I mean? And so those first four are really good. Um, I actually recommend the first four. You know what I mean? By the fourth one, you're going to want to have some type of narcotic, either some alcohol or some drugs, one or the other to help you through it. But you'll be, if you and your friend, alcohol and drugs, uh, get down with some, meatballs four then you'll probably you'll probably like it you could probably watch it without those things too but um yeah i guess keep them close by in case you need to take them quickly um then of course caddyshack uh right fought the next year after meatballs and then followed by stripes which he's in stripes is another monster of comedy you know what i mean i mean it doesn't get too much bigger than that uh like we said sctv network he was a part of that but then he also got uh, he wrote for, he was the head writer on Roddy Dangerfield's special. It's not easy being me on the, that was the HBO, I believe. Um, classic, classic love Rodney. Then of course, written by, you know, Ghostbusters wrote that wrote back to school. My goodness. Armed and dangerous the John Candy vehicle meatballs three summer job. Uh, I don't think that's what it's called, but I guess he were, well, he got credit for the characters rather. Yeah, the Ghostbuster, uh, the part two, you know, of course you got to do Rover Dangerfield, dude. Great. Love it. Um, you know, the real Ghostbusters he was tagged to for the characters that he wrote Groundhog Day, Extreme Ghostbusters, the characters, he did all his films. Uh, but that's kind of, yeah, that was it, man. He got into the video games and stuff, writing on them with Ackroyd, but. Classic, dude. Classic. You know what I mean? Did some crazy acting. People paid respect. I know he was in, like, knocked up later in life because they were paying respects to him. But the dude was in everything great. You know what I mean? Stripes. He's in that heavy metal uh, movie, that animated movie. Our boy Ken was in that. You know, that, that stuff That stuff uh, is, is doesn't pop up every day. You know what I mean? He's in the Ray Parker Jr., I remember him in the music video for that. It was so cool to see Ghostbusters in a music video. You know what I mean? I know you don't listen to music or watch music videos. Yeah, I got bad things to do with my time. He was the doctor and as good as it gets. You know what I mean? Yeah. Jack Nicholson. uh, Him and and Greg Kinnear have some of the craziest exchanges and as good as it gets. I like I like the I like the the movie that deals with those two more than I like the element of uh, Helen Hunt and, and Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Orange County uh, was fun. The a young Hank's child, you know what I mean. He was a knocked up, like I said. He was a walk hard, of course. Everybody loves walk hard. The Dewey Cox story, but yeah, high fidelity all over the place. Yeah, the greatest man, the greatest dude. Very sad when. When we lost Harold Ramis, a very sad deal. February 24th, 2014, at age 69 in Chicago, Illinois, baby. He was born there, too, 1944, November 21st. 
we're approaching anniversary. Uh, tomorrow's actually his birthday, so happy birthday. We'll happy break down birthday. Fourth, we'll break down the fourth wall, and uh, happy birthday, Harold Ramis. Much love and respect to you, my friend. Okay. Um, heck yeah. A Chicago boy through and through, lived and died, born and, born and dead. Chicago, Illinois is through and through, man. I, lo- I like when people stay and rep their home, you know what I mean, and, you know, rep their team. I appreciate that. I mean, you had to leave for a short period of time, of course, but you re- returned home, you know what I mean? Once you had the money to be able to do so, you go back to where it is, you know what I mean? But hell yeah, dude. Harold Ramis, legendary status. Anything you want to say about Harold in closing, my friend over there, Alexander the Hawk? No, nothing uh, specifically other than, um, as I think we've all said, that um, he he was a great director, producer, actor. Yeah. I mean, he he was a part of uh, our childhood and um, very talented, and, and he gave us a lot of great memories. And when he passed, uh, we uh, we lost something uh, special. Did, did you tell us at the beginning of the show when he first popped on your scene? Was it a Ghostbusters thing or was it something else? Well, I think the first thing I saw him was Ghostbusters. Yeah. And then after Ghostbusters was Stripes. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because my parents were a little, like, held, they held that one back from me a little bit. It's a little edgier than, you know, Ghostbusters. Well, I, I, it's funny because the story with Ghostbusters and me was – when Ghostbusters came out, I think I was like maybe four or five. I was I was definitely too young to really see Ghostbusters. But, of course, everyone was talking about it. I was like, Mom, I want to see it. And she's like, no, that's too old for you. And then yeah. I ended up being at a friend's house, and he had it. And he put it on, and we watched it. And I had nightmares for a month afterwards, afraid the wow. dogs were going to get me. Scary. I was Ghostbusters. I, there was certain thing I wasn't allowed to like go rent a horror movie when we rented movies. It'd be like comedies and action movies. Uh, they weren't into horror and they weren't into the wrestling, which are two things I would love to have rented old pay per views. Because I, when I was with my nanu nanu, would rent old wrestling tapes, which was but well, I guess they weren't old back then. A little bit old, but not too much. But uh, those were the glory, man. I used to love rolling through. I love going through those, flipping through the fucking VHS boxes of wrestling, just as good as flipping through the horror, you know what I mean, boxes for sure. Um, but, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah, but Ghostbusters, I was allowed to see without issue. You know, that was a good deal. It had that kid vibe to it. Um, so I was definitely blessed to be able to have done that. And then when you say, so how old were you when you finally seen Ghostbusters then? Well, like I told you, I was like four or five. Four or five when you seen it? Yeah. We didn't hold out for it that long. No, no. The thing is, the thing is, my mom did not want me to watch it. But I went to a friend's house for a play date. My friend had it. That's what they called it back in the day. So I watched it when I was a lot younger than I should have been. Oh, my. So my mom. You know, kind of says, well, you should listen to your mother. And I was like, oh, yes, mom, you're right. I, I got nightmares because of watching a film that I wanted to watch when I shouldn't have watched it. I know. I got some of the, they were like, I, I remember when I was really young, 
like I'd watch horrific shit with my uncles when they'd rent it and stuff. It's weird because like, uh, yeah, but like when I want, it was no go for me to rent, but if it was on, it was all bets were off. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. You know what I mean? But yeah, Harold Ramis, rest in peace, my friend. We'll see you someday again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's a shame that you're not here to do, give us more movies, be with your family, of course. And of course, maybe even more important than anything else, appear on the Boombasticast show. Because we'd really love to have you, Buckaroo. You know what I mean? But mucho gras, mucho gras for your, uh, the entertainment you've put in our lives. And, uh, it's a beautiful thing. You know what I mean? Nothing but love and respect for Harold Ramos. Doing it big. You know what I mean? Okay. He gone spangler, dude. He gone, he, you know, the look. The look is just legendary status. You know what I mean? But with that being said, we hope everybody enjoyed this trip into the old editing room so we can check the gate. You know what I mean? We're not in the editing room yet. We're checking the gate on set. And if the gate's good, we're moving on to the next shot. You know what I mean? And then later we move into the editing room. And then after that, we put it in front of y'all. Now, if you like what you see, go see more either on the YouTube at the Boombastic Media for video interviews. That's right. Video interviews and holiday specials. Very fantastic. You can also catch us wherever you listen to audio uh, podcast streaming, whether that's Stitcher, Apple. I prefer Spotify, but... Some people don't like that, so you can go anywhere else. Uh, Google, Amazon, I believe, even has some stuff for it. Uh, and, yeah, if you're looking to support and financially, you want to give a little to get a little, we got the old Boombastic streaming, Boombastic with two O's, and on the Patreon page, if you find us. Um, we got all these cool perks, starting at five bills, going up to ten. And then we get a 20 bill for people, but a 20 bills, it's so glorious. It's it's like, it's like being in an oven where you're not getting burnt up, but it's like the heat's right there to keep your, your muscles are melted with pleasure. It's that good. You know what I mean? And you just kind of, you got to be harnessed up. We got to hook something into you to hold you up. So you, cause your legs give out from the goodness after so long and you just sit there and bake in the goodness and it's not killing you. It's not burning you, but it's baking in the goodness. And it feels fantastic. And when you get out of the machine and you, 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 you walk away, you start to get, get sick, get the itches and you go, man, I need to fucking, I need to hop back up in that motherfucker. You know what I mean? I need to get feeling, get, get baked out again. Nice. And it's a good deal. And, uh, you know that you can rest assured that you got that boombastic stream in the call home. To fix your needs, you know what I mean? So by all means, dig deeper with us, and we'll catch y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic Cast. Peace. Peace.